Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Matt. If you are new with us, I am so glad that you have chosen to join us on this beautiful weekend that we're having here in spring. We ask if you're new that you give us a few weeks before you make an informed decision on whether or not you'd stick around with us uh, long-term or not. We are in a, what we're calling a rebuilding year after 2020 and uh, praying for more laborers to come and join us. And you might just be an answer to those prayers. Although church is much more than what we do on Sunday and more than a, a gathering, I absolutely love Sunday because I love gathering as the people of God. And that's one of our main three rhythms as a church. We gather on Sunday, we have our group on Wednesday nights, and then we have these smaller groups of individuals getting together who are discipling one another. And while Sunday is not our primary strategy on reaching the city of Portland, because people have no interest in really what we're doing right now, at the same time, I believe it is vital for God's people to gather together, to huddle up, uh, kind of like a football team. I love the imagery of a team getting together, or maybe for some of us, we'd say a soccer team, or football, but we get get together and we strategize and we have a, a whiteboard and we kind of draw up our plans and our plays and we get together and celebrate what it is that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those that we have influence with. And uh, we, we mourn with one another when there's something to, to mourn over and we share our struggles of, of what's been happening and we get to hear the word of God proclaimed and preached and we get to pray for one another and take the sacrament of communion. And then we get to kind of come together and lay hands on, on one another in theory and send each other out as missionaries to where we live, where we work, and where we play. That is one of the reasons I love when we gather as God's people. Uh, we've been in a sermon series called Kingdom Manifesto where we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while now. Uh, last week, we started chapter seven, the third and final chapter of this sermon, which was the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. And so if you have your Bible, or you have the app on your phone, go ahead and open them to the book of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at just one verse this week, uh, verse 6. And so this should be a fairly short sermon. Go ahead and breathe a, a sigh of relief. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text. God, we want to set our hearts on you. We want to come and we want to leave the worries and distractions of the week behind us, the good and the bad. God, whatever's going on in our hearts and our lives, and just focus on you this morning. God, we're looking at a really, in some ways, a strange verse just to read it. God, I pray that you would help us understand the context of the verse. I pray that you would help us understand the entirety of this passage of these opening verses in Matthew chapter 7. God, move me out of the way. May your spirit be present with us, and may you speak to us now. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, church, for context, I'm going to go ahead and read the first five verses of the book of Matthew, which we looked at last week. If you missed that sermon, you can go back and wherever you podcast, you can find it there. And then we'll look at verse six. So Matthew seven, starting verse one, it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is no, where there is a log in your own eye? 
You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And here's our verse for this week, verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, what in the world does that mean? So if judge not that you be not judged was refreshing to hear last week as, as we are not judged, we're not to play the role of judge, but only God is, then I would think that verse six has to kind of invoke the opposite response to you. You're talking about dogs and pigs and pearls. Like what in the world is this, is this about? You might be thinking, did Jesus just refer to some people as dogs and pigs? Now, we really need the context of this time to unpack this verse, and hopefully I'm, I'm able to do that well and do that clearly for you. Because when we think about dogs here, we can't think about dogs like a Portlander. You know, Portlanders, some of you, our neighbors, our friends, they have one kid and three dogs on average is what it seems like. This was not the case in the ancient world. Dogs lived on the streets and they scavenged for food. So they weren't the cute, cuddly puppies that we think about. They were street dogs. They were stray dogs. They probably had rabies sometimes. And Jews considered them unclean, and they used the term to describe those apart from or enemies of Israel's covenant community. So this is how Jews would describe those who weren't essentially Jewish and who weren't part of the community of faith. They would describe them as dogs. Now, pigs were also rejected by Jews probably because they too were kind of scavenger type of animals and they were considered unclean according to the Old Testament law. Now we also see that pearls were mentioned here. So what are dogs and pigs? And we kind of get what they have in common in this context, that they're essentially they're dirty. But what do pearls have to do with this context? Pearls were often used to symbolize something of a great value. I mean, imagine if you're wearing a pearl, real pearls, like a pearl necklace. Okay, it, it, it it shows that there's great value. It shows that in some ways you have wealth. And so that we're used to symbolize the great value of the message of the kingdom of heaven, which a certain amount is all about. And so the message of the kingdom of heaven and, and the gospel message. And some modern language would be kind of sacred there in, in, in place of pearl. So the sacred message of the kingdom of heaven or the sacred message of the gospel. But the verse itself uses the term pearls. And so while we saw last week that in Christ, we are to be merciful to other people, that we're going to be forgiving of other people, and we're to be slow to judge. Okay, so once again, if you missed last week, go back and listen to that, because these two kind of go together. In fact, I almost preached verse six last week, and I thought, this is strange enough with what it mentions, I need to do a separate week. And so while it describes that for us last week, this passage is implying that we should also be discerning in our relationships with one another, and that we should not proclaim the gospel indefinitely to those who adamantly reject it so that we can move on and proclaim the gospels to others. So before you mishear me, let me explain a little bit. Really careful with this point, but let me frame it this way. At present, right now, in this moment, there are no less than 7,432 unreached people groups. And what unreached means is that, to our knowledge, they've never been reached with the gospel message. They've never probably heard the name of Jesus. That represents 3.24... 3.24 billion people who have never heard the gospel message, okay? So frame it that way. And so I'm not implying that we don't share the gospel with our neighbors. I'm not implying that we don't share the gospel with our family. I'm not implying we don't share it with our coworkers. But at some point, we have to be intentional and faithfully share the message of Jesus and call them to respond. And if they adamantly reject it time and time again, we need to move on so that the 3.24 billion people who've never had a chance to hear can actually hear. 
Okay, the context here provides uh, healthy discernment. Last week, we looked at this idea of how not to judge others. So don't judge them in, in a censorious, condemning, or hypocritical way. But at the same time, we were told we are not to ignore their faults and pretend that everybody is, is the same. And so what these six verses are doing is they're together, when you take them, they're saying avoid both extremes. Avoid the extreme of coming in and, and judging when it's not your place to judge, but also avoid the extreme of just continually laying yourself out there if you are faithfully proclaiming the gospel message, which hopefully we'll be able to unpack that a little bit. And then eventually at some point you might need to move on. So if we first remove the log from our own eyes, we looked at last week, we then see clearly to take the speck out of our own eye. And if they are true brother or sister in Christ, then they will appreciate us doing so. And so if, if, if let's just say that I've got a big log in my own eye and someone who's listening this morning has a speck in their eye, in that context, if I take that log out of my own eye and then I put my glasses back on and I can see clearly, and then if I come to you and say, man, there's, you've got this thing, I just want to come to you, you're going to appreciate that as, as a, a, a fellow Christ follower on this means to follow Jesus. Because reality is none of us are following him perfectly. Absolutely none of us. And so we need each other. And we should, we should appreciate that when, when we're called out, not in a judging way, but in a way that wants to build us up and wants us as a community to reflect Jesus Christ more and more. But not everyone is grateful for correction and accountability. According to the book of Proverbs, this is one of the obvious distinctions between a fool and a wise man. The book of Proverbs says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So who then, on verse 6, are these dogs and pigs? Now Jesus is indicating not only that they are more animal than human, but they are animals with dirty habits as well. The dogs he has in mind are not the cute, cuddly lap dogs that some of you have, and many in our city have. These are the scavenger dogs who roam the streets and who are, are going through the trash and who are, 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 are coming up to you on the street and, and, and bothering you. Andrea, to this day, is scared of dogs for two reasons. One, she was out one time. They had some kind of revival evangelistic campaign. They're sitting, and she was inviting neighbors, and she knocked on this door, and this lady wanted nothing to do with it, and she sent her dog to chase after her. And so when I found that out a few years ago, I thought, no wonder Andrea's never wanted us to have a dog. She's terrified of them because she has this wound and this the scar deep down from her first really memory of a dog. Second, if you've ever been to Argentina, there's stray street dogs all over the place and they're typically mean and they're basically like they're described here in this context. So it's hard for our minds to picture it, but if you've ever traveled to certain countries and other parts of the world, this is exactly how the dogs there uh, operate. And then pigs were unclean animals to the Jews and some groups to this day still will not eat pigs for this reason because they're believed to be unclean animals. Now, after visiting Texas for this last week, I'm considering becoming a vegetarian, at least for the next month, because I ate so much meat while I was there. But I think bacon alone might be the one reason I could not commit to being a vegetarian long term. I'm sorry to those of you who are vegetarians, but those of you who are not can probably relate with me because you can put bacon with anything and it's going to make it taste better. If you don't like your vegetables, just chop up some fried bacon or wrap it in bacon and you will all of a sudden love those vegetables. John Stott. He says, so then the dogs and pigs with whom we are forbidden to share the gospel pearl, that gospel message, are not just unbelievers. They must rather be those who have had ample opportunity to hear. I think that's key. Those who've had ample opportunity to hear and receive the good news, but they have decisively, even defiantly, rejected it. And so the fact is that continuing to persist beyond a certain point in offering the gospel to such people 
is to invite its rejection with contempt, for even for some blasphemy. Now, this passage itself isn't necessarily talking about blasphemy, although it kind of hints at it. And so blasphemy, I remember growing up thinking, what in the world is blasphemy? Like, have I committed blasphemy? Have I, have I done the one unpardonable sin? Uh, the, uh, blasphemy is in uh, Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32. We won't look there, but it describes blasphemy there. And that's kind of what, in part, this is referring to here. Blasphemy is not unbelief. We all had that at one time. But blasphemy, rather, is when you actually do believe in God and, and what he claims to have done. Think about the Roman soldiers we looked at on Easter, how, how they actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So they believe this message, but they consciously and willfully rejected Jesus in spite of believing it, and they refused to follow him. That's what blasphemy is. And so there are some people who, who you know in your life who actually believe this message, but they still want to reject it and decide to go and live their own way. And, and this is what this passage implies is do not continue spinning your wheels and, and essentially wasting your time when there's 3.24 billion other people who've never even heard this message. We see that the demons actually believe in Jesus. They believe everything he says, but they don't follow him, but they choose to willfully reject him. Before anyone mishears me, Jesus applied the same principle to his ministry of the 12 when he gave them this charge, when, when they were all together. And he said, I'm gonna send you out on your first mission. And he warned them, when you go into every town that you enter, there will be some people who will be receptive. Scripture uses the word people of peace. There's gonna be those types other people are going to be unreceptive to you. And Jesus' instructions were to them. He says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, then shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. I'm just going to read that passage for us real briefly in context. It's Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 2, go through verse 12. You can jot that down and look at it on your own later, but here it is. It says, and he, Jesus, said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You've heard me say that quite a bit. I believe that in the city of Portland, that we have a plentiful harvest here, but our laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the exact way that we train church planners in South Asia is that we would train them to go into these places, proclaim that peace has come upon this house. And if they received them, they received the gospel message and they were to stay there. And essentially we got to see churches started this way. We got to see people who've never heard the name of Jesus. We got to see towns and villages and people groups who had never heard the gospel message, hear it, respond to it. And then we got to see disciples made and we formed those disciples into new churches and praise God he's doing that. But there were other times that these church planters in India would go to into these villages and they would not receive them. They had death threats on them. They, they were persecuted. And so it said, shake the dust off your feet, which if you've ever been in this context, there's a lot of dust, a lot of dusty, dirty roads. They would shake it off their feet and they would move on. And so my prayer in Portland, and please don't mishear me. Don't hear that, man, Matt's saying we should just do this one time. And then we have to discern what the spirit is God is calling us to do. And we're here for the long haul. We're committed to this city. We're committed to our people. And so my prayer for Portland, what, what I was told when I moved here from other Christian leaders in our cities, on average, 
It takes five to seven years to see someone come to follow Jesus from the first time that, that you've met them, really from the first time you've proclaimed the gospel message to them. And that can take many, many years to see that happen. And so my prayer for us is that we have discernment is when to move on from certain relationships in our lives. And so sometimes we may not be called to move on. Other times we might be. Once again, this message here, this, this passage is referring to when people have adamantly rejected it. So it's possible some people haven't adamantly rejected it. What I think we see here more often than not in our own city is apathy. They just apathetically rejected it, I guess you could say, but they haven't necessarily adamantly rejected it. And so once again, we have to discern the spirit of God and, and just ask God to really to help us know when to move on and when not to move on. There might be some relationships, such as a husband and a wife, that you're never called to move on because you're married to that person. You live with them and you get to faithfully proclaim that message in word and deed throughout your marriage. But there might be other relationships in your life and they can even become toxic at times that it might be time to actually move on if we take this passage and actually live it out. John Stott said, if people have had plenty of opportunity to hear the truth, but they do not respond to it, if they stumbly turn their backs on Christ, in other words, they cast themselves in the role of dogs and pigs, we are not to go on and on with them. For then we cheapen God's gospel by letting them trample it underfoot. Can anything be more depraved than to mistake God's precious pearl for a thing of no worth and actually tread it into the mud? At the same time, to give people up is a very serious step to take. Okay, once you hear this last part. I can only think of one or two occasions in my own experience when I felt it was right. So what John Stott is saying is that we do see there's a time and place to do this. But in, in his, and I can't remember how old he was when he wrote this book, but I think it was towards the end of his life, in his entire walk with God, he only personally felt one or two times when it was appropriate for him to actually go ahead and move on. And so once again, I don't want us to mishear this that, well, I've shared it one time and now, now I'm completely done with this relationship with this person. But to take this to heart that there could be at times relationships in our lives. He said, this teaching of Jesus is for exceptional situations only. Our normal Christian duty is to be patient and persuasive and with others and to persevere as God has patiently persevered with us. Okay, so we have to balance these two. So I do believe it's saying at times we may be called to move on, but I agree with Stott here that this is an exceptional situation and that we are to be patient and we are to persevere with those that God has placed us around. And so hopefully I'm giving us a clear balance of, of what that looks like in our lives. Once again, this is one of those verses that I think a lot of churches might just skip over. I considered it, but I'm committed to teaching verse by verse and doing expositional preaching. And so for that reason, I thought we're going to dive into this. And I could have easily tacked it on to the end of last week's message and just kind of said two things about it. But I want us to actually kind of look at it in its fuller context here. And hopefully that serves us well as a church. And so what does this mean then? What does this mean? It can't mean that we should refuse to engage with someone who disagrees with us. It can't mean that we are to move on immediately from someone who might reject a gospel presentation upon the first time hearing it. Especially in my experience, it's rare that I have a chance to really share what I would say a full gospel message. I feel like I'm showing like gospel nuggets out there, right? I'm giving them like not the full meal, but they're getting like little pieces of the meal. And so like, there's no way that this is calling me to move on when I've only given them part of the gospel message itself. And I, I think for us to, to, to interpret that this way would be to miss the, the entire point of what Jesus has been saying about not dismissing the person. And once again, we're not the judge. So you have to think about last week, we we're not called to be the judge. So it's hard for us also to judge if, if they have completely rejected it or not. In fact, I think Jesus actually given us instructions on how it is that we are to engage with people who don't believe like us. Here's the meaning. We see throughout the gospel that Jesus compares his kingdom to a pearl. But some people, he says, they don't have the capacity to grasp it. And so think about those who aren't in Christ. They don't yet have the capacity to grasp the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. 
I would say even us who are Christians, we don't have the capacity to fully grasp it. We have a, the capacity to grasp it in part, but not in whole. That's, that's for the for, to come. Because there is a higher form of life than human life. as a life given by the Spirit. So this is why before we encounter people, we need to pray for the Spirit of God to be on that person. That's why even before preaching, Andrea and I were talking about that this weekend. I've hated the online piece of this, whether those of you are tuning in watching this, because it feels like mechanical at times. I'm like, man, I need to be seeking the Lord because I can work all week long and work really, really hard to craft and prepare a message. But if it falls on deaf ears, if it's just Matt's words, then then I'm kind of wasting my time and I'm wasting your time. And so my prayer is that it'll be God's words that come to life and that it'll be God's word that's made clear and that it'll be God's word that you hear and that calls you and convicts you and how to respond. And so we need to pray that God would give people supernaturally give people eyes to see and ears to hear. I know that even this can sound a little insulting here when we, when we look at this context because in some ways it's supposed to be. Prior to coming to Christ, it says that we were blind. The book of Ephesians says that it implies, if you guys were, if you were here for our, it's been quite a while, and I think it was our first like full series of a book that we did, so it's probably about two years ago, that we, we talked about, I think it was second or third weekend, that it implies that in the sense that the, until you come to Christ, you're the walking dead. If you've ever seen that series, we're kind of like these zombies walking around until we come to know Jesus. And so in some ways this is offensive, but this is how scripture implies those who are outside of Christ. And so what does this mean practically for you? How do, how do we actually live this message out if you're not completely confused at this point? I really want to give us some practical handles on how it is that we are to live out verse one through, through six, but specifically verse six. And so first, I'm going to address those of you who are Christians. I'm going to give you quite a few ways that you can live this out. And then I've just got one point for those that you, of you who would say, I, I don't identify as a Christian. So stick with me here, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. So for those of you who are Christians, first, make prayer of first importance. E.M. Bounds, he says, we shouldn't try to talk to a person about God without also talking to God about that person. And I would add to that, talking to God about that person first. And so daily, be praying for those people in your life, those people of receptivity. Be praying in the morning for the person that you might interact with at your job. Be praying for that, that Uber driver you might get a chance to interact with. Be praying for that person that you might meet at the park. Because think about it, people don't just need information. They don't just need the information of Scripture and the Gospel. They need regeneration. And God is the only one that can do that, which is why we should always start with prayer. And so I would say, who's your one? You might say, what do you mean by that? Who's your one person in your life right now, this morning that you're praying for? Let's just start with one. You might say, man, man there's so many more. Well, that's great. But I think a lot of times we just get bombarded and overwhelmed with, well, there's so many people in our city who don't know Jesus. And how do I pick just one? Just pick one. Maybe that's your spouse. So be faithful and consistent. Pray for them. Maybe that's your coworker. Maybe that's your neighbor. Maybe it's uh, someone that you coach on your soccer team. Whoever it is, pick one person and just intentionally pray for that person. This doesn't mean we don't use apologetics when we talk with people. It's the whole reason we're going through the reason for God on Wednesday nights. And especially in our context, I think it's important that we have those, those uh, handles and that we can uh, be Keller-ish whenever we're talking with people. But apart from the Holy Spirit drawing people, apart from the Holy Spirit convincing people to himself, our apologetics are useless. We could, we could argue the paint off the walls. But unless the Holy Spirit is present and drawing and convicting and convincing, then it's going to be useless. And so we need to start with prayer. 
You see, the disciples, they were even bothered at one point. We see this story in the New Testament where they couldn't cast out a demon. And Jesus came to them and said, the reason you can't cast out the demon is because this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so I would say, church, we must always start with prayer. Second, be sensitive to what people can handle. Many people in ancient Israel were pig farmers. They had to feed pigs. And so Jesus is saying, look, be smart. They don't appreciate the pearl. Don't give it to them. And so kind of this idea of like using discernment. You probably heard that word from me a lot this morning. Jesus even once told a crowd, he said, many things you're not ready for yet. And so we gotta, we gotta discern. Some people aren't ready for everything. So we gotta discern when are they ready to hear certain aspects of the message. Oftentimes it will take a relationship with the one, that one that you're praying for, before we see them come to Christ. We sometimes feel, I think it's the goodness of our heart. Once, once you're in Christ, like, right, you wanna share it with everyone. I love seeing someone come to Christ when they first come to Christ because they're so passionate and they're looking at the rest of us like, why are you all lazy? Why aren't you sharing this message of, of Jesus and freedom and hope? Like, why, why aren't you doing this? But I think sometimes out of the goodness of our heart, we feel like we need to tell someone everything the first time we meet them. Well, that oftentimes doesn't happen in my experience, at least not here in the city of Portland. And so when it does, it's clear the Holy Spirit drawing them in that moment but give them what they can handle in that moment. We have to culturally think through these things and sometimes it's, it's, it's better to hold certain things back. I mean, as Christians, we hold some really strong biblical ethics. There's some areas that we believe very differently, vastly differently from our culture and that something sometimes certain things that we hold to and believe and have convictions of, which are right and good, but that can, if we get so hung up on focusing on that, you know, let's just say in our city, we won't go deep into this, but like sexual ethics, for example. If, if you're living out a biblical worldview, I believe your sexual ethics are gonna look very different from our cities and what you hold to. But that should not be our starting place because that is not the message that we're here to proclaim. We're here to proclaim the message of the gospel, okay? And so for me, I look at that and go, okay, all those other things which are important, those are part of the discipleship process. That's that journey of as you're learning what it means to follow Jesus, follow him faithfully. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict you of those things. So we shouldn't be going out there and slamming people for their, their sexual ethics whenever it's not the message that we're supposed to be out there proclaiming. Third, seek life change through Jesus before persuasion of your point of view. See, Jesus avoided getting entangled into the secondary matters. In other words, political issues, for example, that's been huge over the last really four or five years, but especially over the last year, we had a recent election and it's still ongoing. So as Christ followers, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in politics as we should be, but we shouldn't be getting caught up in those. And we shouldn't mix those messages with this whole idea of what we call Christian nationalism. Remember, the issue is Jesus and proclaiming the message that he came to bring. Fourth, learn to contextualize your message to your audience. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he pointed out that Jesus answered Pilate's question, but he stood silent before Herod. He said, you do not handle a Pilate and a Herod in exactly the same way. You must become an expert in knowing what to give each type of person. You answer the question of a pilot, but you say nothing to Harry. And so we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach. We gotta, we gotta get to know the people that we're actually dealing with. Your neighbor might respond to, to one thing and your coworker might respond to something else. And so we need to take time to contextualize the message that we've been given. We proclaim that this message and we use one methodology when we were in villages in South Asia and we use a totally different methodology when we're here in Portland. But the the message itself is actually the same, but we had to contextualize that message. Fifth, devote yourself to listening first and then speaking. If you remember back to our series in the book of James, James 1.19 said, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. If we would just take that message and live that out, 
I mean, how much better would life be? I would add to that social media. They didn't have social media when James wrote this book, but let every person be quick to post or quick to hear, sorry, quick to hear, quick to read and slow to post. Like how much better would our interactions be with those that we have even online? There's, I think about this idea of a, a disciple's guide to spiritual conversations, which is a book we went through. We might need to re-go through it with some of our new folks, but be present with people. Listen to people. Share with people. Invite and teach and trust. But it starts with listening and being present with that individual. Actually get to know their story. People know if you have an agenda. You know, in, in some ways it can look like an agenda because we, we want people to come to know Jesus. We want to live out this great commission. But you have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. Actually, you want to get to know that person and that individual. Our partnerships in the city, I've always had to question myself. Do we actually love these people at Vernon School? Do we actually love Concordia uh, the association in the neighborhood, or is this just, just so that we'll grow our church bigger? We have, we have to constantly ask ourselves those things. Six, be patient with the pace of God in someone else's life. I get it. I struggle with this one. We want to see people changed immediately. We want to see them go from here, when we met them, interacted with them, to, to here, whatever that picture is in our minds. We want them to, to, to catch up to where we are, essentially. Okay, I have to be reminded sometimes especially those young disciples. And sometimes we get those that sojourn. But, you know, I've been poured into for 30 some years of my life. And so I should be over here. Not that I'm better or have arrived, but man, I've been poured into. I've been discipled for 30 some years. And so all of a sudden we see someone come to Jesus and you expect them to be up here and living this way and fully have the same convictions that you have. But they just now are interacting with Jesus. And then I know people who've waited years for their spouse or their children or their parents to embrace Jesus. And so if you have a family member or whoever that is, that one in your life right now, sometimes it's going to be perseverance and patience with them. I remember a lady at the first church where Andre and I remember when we first were married. She was faithful to Jesus. She faithfully loved and served the church, but her husband wanted nothing to do with it. And instead of pestering him, instead of making him feel like he was uh, less than her and judging him, what she did is she prayed for him. She faithfully attended church. She faithfully served the body of Christ. She faithfully walked with the Lord and she was a great spouse, and she prayed for her husband. And after a number of years, yes, it took years, she eventually saw her husband come to know Jesus. But it started with her patient perseverance of praying and seeking the Lord to, to work in her husband's life. Seventh, sometimes it is okay to move on. Once again, the challenge here is we don't do this prematurely, and it may not be very often. So I don't want you to think right now, there might be people you want to move on from in your life, but unless God's released you, don't move on. There may be days that, that you may, there may be days you want to move on from your family. There may be days you want to move on from your neighborhood. There's probably days you want to move on from the city of Portland. But until God's released you to move on, you need to be present with the people that God has called you to be with. I've got a local contact. I won't, I won't mention this individual's names. You've heard about this individual before. Many sermon stories have been told about them. But we've been friends now for three plus years. And we'll regularly grab lunch together. I have lots of spiritual conversations. And it just seems like, Continue rejection and rejection and rejection. So the way that I've gone about this in my own life and discernment is I haven't completely moved on from this individual, but I'm also not spending all my time with this individual. So I think in part, that's what this also is implying. I can spend all of my time with this one individual just trying to convince them, but there's other people who need to hear this message as well. And so I still spend time with this person. I still pray for this person. I'm still gonna continue to pursue them until God fully releases me from this person, but I don't spend all of my time with this person. Eight, sometimes you have to be willing to be torn. And so you see that 
there's these times that that you are going to be torn, that you're not sure, should I spend time with this person? Should I move on from this? Have they adamantly rejected the message of the gospel? So once again, we have to seek the Lord. That's why we start with prayer. Saying, what, what, is, what am I to do here? Has this person adamantly rejected this message? Have I been freed up and released to move on to other people? And this is one reason, in addition to laboring here in the city of Portland, we're going we're gonna to start this and hopefully grow this relationship that we're forming in London with Mike McCoy, Mike and Grace McCoy and their family there, because there's all these people from all over the world moving to London, and we want to labor there as well. And so we want to continue to proclaim this message here. We want to help proclaim the message there with missionaries like them and local pastors of churches all throughout the London uh, area. And so those are the eight instructions for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who are apprentices of Jesus, attempting to practice and follow his ways. So my final instruction is for those of you, don't worry, I don't have eight, I just have one. For those of you who are not in Christ, for those of you who would not identify yourself as a Christian this morning, I want to remind you of a passage in the book of John, the Gospel of John, verse chapter three, verse 17. It tells us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Sometimes you might think, man, this, Jesus came just to judge me and condemn me, but it tells us he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so God sent his son Jesus into a hell-bent world, but not to condemn it as many think. He sent Jesus to come and testify that we were in need of a rescuer. And so you who don't follow Jesus, you're in need of a rescuer, but so was I. So was everyone else who was part of Sojourn. We're in need of a savior and he offered that in himself. And so if you're tuning in this morning or if you're live with us and you're, 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 and you're in our presence and you're hearing this message, you know what this means? This means that God hasn't given up on you. This points to the truth that God is having grace and mercy on you right now in this moment because he's again giving you an opportunity to not only hear the message of his gospel, he's giving you an opportunity to respond to his message. And so I would say this morning that God is inviting you into this relationship, that God is inviting you to follow him just like my oldest son did on Easter Sunday. The greatest gift a parent could ever receive is hearing one of their children say, man, I wanna believe my heart and confess with my mouth and follow Jesus as Lord. And so my son did that on Easter Sunday. We're planning a baptism service this summer. And so this morning, you too can follow Jesus. This morning, you too can be invited into this relationship. And when we set up this baptism service, you can follow through and representing going from death to life. And so if you would like to respond to Jesus this morning, just type the word respond and we, if you're tuning in online and then we'll make sure that we follow up with you or if you're with us in person, I'll be uh, over here on the side and I will be there waiting to uh, respond with you and to pray with you and to walk you through what it looks like to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life. And so let me pray for us, church, and then we will respond accordingly by praying for those who need to be prayed for and um, giving of our tithes and offering as an act of worship this morning. Pray with me, church. God, we thank you for just who you are. God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, we do pray for your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, as we look at a verse that upon reading it can be very, very strange, as we wonder what are these dogs and pigs, this all talking about. But God, I pray this morning that it was articulated clearly where it wasn't, God. I pray that just them reading the words and studying on their own, that you'll make that clear to all of us. And God, hopefully we discern that there may be a time that someone's adamantly rejected the gospel and that we're to move on. But God, only when you have given us peace to do so. God, I pray for 
our ones this morning. God, I pray for our people of peace and people of receptivity in our lives. God, that you would draw them to yourself. God, for spouses and coworkers and family members and neighbors and friends. God, that this morning, those that we care about who are on our heart, you would draw them to yourself. God, we wanna see people come to know and to love you, to embrace you, Jesus, because we believe that you are the hope for the world, the world that, that you came into, God, this hell-bent world that had no hope apart from a savior and that you came to save us and to rescue us. And God, we have been given this message. You've entrusted us with this message to go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And God, that the kingdom, we want it to be here in Portland as it is in heaven. God, we pray these things by your power and in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.